Hello, 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 hello. You know what I've been into lately? Making up really stupid songs. So you just got to witness the stupidity of the songs that I like to create. The lyrics are super deep. I hope you really enjoy my song. Trademark. So hi, uh, if this is your first time joining us, you're like, what have I gotten myself into? My name is Sarah Buino, and this is Conversations with a Wounded Healer, a podcast where I connect with other people in healing professions and talk about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. So I'm a psychotherapist in Chicago and do a bunch of other things that I don't even want to talk about. And I have an amazing guest today who is an Instagram friend. I love Instagram. So if you want to connect, that's probably the best place to find me at Head Heart Therapy is my Instagram handle. And truth be told, I'm setting some really good boundaries lately and trying to allow myself to not respond to every single message all the time. So I can't promise you that I'll get to it right away, but I can promise that I will do my best. One thing I also wanted to share with you, I've just been thinking about how exhausted I am. And I don't say this to like bring everybody down, but I just took a month sabbatical and it was so necessary. And I am curious how we can make this more of a thing in the therapy profession, especially after the pandemic, not after we're still in it, but you know what I mean? After the trauma of being in lockdown, not having vaccines, I mean, it's still traumatic with the numbers and the Delta and oh, Jesus Christ. Anyway, there needs to be a thing. And I wonder if it comes through loan forgiveness for those of us who have substantial loans and then the absence of having to pay for our loan payment every month creates some more money for vacations or whether it's like there is just a national holiday. I mean, in Europe, don't people just everyone takes August off? Is that how that works? If you are a listener in Europe and you understand this phenomenon that we don't have in the United States, please let me know because I'm going to institute it here. I think that we all deserve a break. And I really wish that there were some way for it to be mandated and for it to be paid because not everybody has the privilege that I have to take a month off. And I want that for us. I want that for us so bad because what I keep hearing from therapists is that we're just tired. There's been so much pain and so much trauma happening since March of 20, I mean, forever, but like acutely since March of 2020. And I don't know how much longer everybody's going to be able to last before completely burning out. So not to bum you out, but let's brainstorm this, you guys. Let's really think about what can we ask for, right? Who can we ask? How do we get something done? Tell me, tell me your thoughts. Like Instagram me, let me know if you have any brilliant thoughts. Maybe I'll actually make this an Instagram post. Hmm, I'll think about that. Anyway, let me introduce you to uh, today's amazing guest, Jess Sprengel. So Jess owns and operates a private practice in Austin, Texas, specializing in the care and treatment of adolescents, young adults, adults, and families impacted by eating disorders, disordered eating, body image disturbances, and adjacent issues. She's a champion of freedom, justice, and liberation for all people in all bodies and practices from an intersectional social justice-aligned lens. Jess considers herself to be a radically genuine therapist and seeks to embody authenticity and humanness with clients. She brings this to the social media world through her Instagram account, The Cranky Therapist, which is how I met her. 
and Twitter at LPC. So please enjoy my spirited and wonderful conversation with the lovely Jess Springle. Jess! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. I'm so excited to talk today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm actually very cranky today, so hopefully we can get cranky together. I am feeling that. I am definitely cranky today. I did not get good sleep. So it is a day of crankiness. Yeah, what the fuck? The full moon like fucked my shit up this week. I got to tell you. I did not realize. I I don't think it was until Wednesday night that it was a full moon. And once I realized it, I was like, ah, ah, that explains quite literally every part of this week. So I'm not, you know, certainly not so much into that stuff, but it's real. The moon absolutely impacts us. So it I was feeling it. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't, before we, because we can just get cranky right away, but why don't you fill folks in on who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm Jess Bringle. I'm a licensed professional counselor in, right now I live in Austin, Texas, but I also have a license in New Jersey. So I see folks virtually in New Jersey and also now because of the pandemic, I see them virtually in Texas as well. I specialize in treating eating disorders, disordered eating, body image issues, and all of that good stuff in teens, adults, and families, sometimes against my will. But it is work that I absolutely love doing and I cannot imagine doing anything else. And I feel very privileged to do it. That's me in a professional nutshell. Um, In a personal nutshell, I am a meme queen on the internet. I love to laugh. I don't know that I would have survived 2020 without a lot of humor. Woof, right? And without my wonderful little fur friends, I have three cats and they bring me so much joy, even though they also torture my life. So that's me, I suppose, in a personal nutshell. Memory and cats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And on Instagram, you're the cranky therapist. Yes, that is. (laughs) It always is funny to hear other people say it. But yes. Yeah. Well, and that's how we connected. It's on Instagram. Yes. It's interesting. I do feel like I've made a lot of awesome connections with people in our community and just therapists in general on Instagram. And I feel really grateful for that. And I feel grateful too that the work that I do on there and just the content I put out speaks to people. Um, That always makes me smile to know that, okay, like I'm not alone. I'm certainly... Uh, speaking to an audience, uh, sometimes a bigger audience mm-hmm. than I think I am. That's really helpful. And it's also been a really cool part of social media use is yeah. being able to talk with other therapists that I never would have connected with. Otherwise, even though Texas is a huge state, it's like, I mean, Austin is pretty insulated. So it's, you don't really do a lot of networking outside of that. So yeah. Instagram really allows that. And it's pretty cool in that way. Yeah, I think we should create a Instagram therapist support group for all of us who have a bunch of followers and get a lot of shit because it's really interesting like there's a unique and something happened internally for me once I hit 10,000 followers which I'm not like saying that to brag but there's more visibility right I think the algorithms push you more if you have more than 10,000 followers and so then there's more feedback which can (laughs) often be awful right (laughs) let's get a support group together let's do it I would love that (laughs) It it is it is a very unique experience. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, it's not a bragging thing. And right. I, and I take and I take it very seriously. I take like having that much visibility mm-hmm. very seriously. I'm very intentional with how I show up on on the internet. Mm-hmm. 
which I think people don't always realize. Exactly. And interestingly, I've noticed, I think a while back, I, you know, played a quote unquote, like game in my stories. It was like, make an assumption about me. And I was Mm. shocked by some of the assumptions people had. Although my personal favorite was you have a great family life and get along with both of your parents. And I just, what? (laughs) And I just like (laughs) belly laughed because Mm. I was like, what about my page speaks that assumption? Mm. You know, naturally I don't really speak about my family. I think that's, you know, I do want to offer the people in my life a modicum of protection and privacy. So it's not something I really talk about, but it's just, I thought that was a really curious element that I hadn't considered that people automatically make assumptions, especially if you're a therapist, that your life looks a very particular way, unless you name that it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that especially, you know, if you're a therapist that has any sort of privilege that you must have like all of the privileges, which I've spoken about this on my Instagram as well. It's like that in and of itself is a privilege to like have people round up basically, or just like assume certain privileges, but still, it was still a little bit hurtful. Some of the assumptions I got where Mm. I was like, wow, maybe I'm not coming across as authentically as I want to think. Or ultimately I, I let it go because I was like, it's the internet. People project a lot of their Mm -hmm. own stuff onto us and that's okay. That is what it is. It was just a, a unique insight into what people might be thinking about someone on the internet that just happens to have a certain number of followers. Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting since my account is less about me and more about like the practice overall, even though it's my voice speaking, I get a lot more of that from the podcast, right? Like people will be like, I know you so well and all this and that. And it's an Mm -hmm. interesting, almost like an assumption that we have a relationship because they have a relationship with me and I have a relationship with the podcast as a whole but I only know like a handful of my listeners that I like chat with and interact with. So it's just the whole idea of celebrity culture and like, not that I'm calling myself a celebrity, but if you have any sort of platform, I think it gets put into that role and put on a pedestal. What's like that, what is that parasocial relationships where it's like you are quote unquote in relationship with a celebrity, but they have, I mean, They're Mm -hmm. a stranger to you, but you feel like very close to them or feel like you have a lot of information about them. It's interesting. I thought about that because I don't know if you're a John Mulaney fan. Mm -hmm. God, love him so much. But people were losing their minds about him getting divorced and being in a relationship with someone else. And we don't know jack shit about his life. I mean, obviously, you know, we know there's information about he went to treatment and mm-hmm. all of all of these things that like, I feel terrible that people who are in the public eye have to reveal that kind of information or it will come out in some like ugly way later, probably. Just the feedback that I saw around that reminded me that we have some really strange ideas about celebrities and what they owe to us. And mm-hmm. there's just a, there are a lot of demands, I think, that are placed on people with platforms that are unreasonable. And I've just certainly noticed that even within the last few weeks, a lot of people sliding into my messages, demanding things. That's mm. Just like demanding commentary on certain political issues Mm -hmm. or just just anything, really. Like, oh, like, did you see this or have you seen that on this person's page? And I'm like, 
I like literally cannot comment on everything that exists. Exactly. It, it is so uh, fucking hard. I'm I'm one person and I run my own account. I do not have any help, mm-hmm. which now, you know, as I as my account grows, I'm like, maybe this was a bad idea. Um, like, right. you know, there was I didn't have a plan in place because I just had no expectation. And now I don't know if this is your experience as well. I certainly feel anxiety if I like don't check my account for a while that like something blew up or someone is yelling at me or Mm -hmm. which I think just comes with the territory. And this is I say this is someone with like 30,000 followers versus like I cannot imagine someone that has a million followers or like 100,000 like that blows my mind. I don't know how you would keep up with that and like sleep at night. I, right. right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm struggling. How are you doing that? Right, right. And I always think too, if I am not up on everything that's happened in the news and making some sort of comment on it that I have then failed. And yeah, I get similar things too. Like, you know, why did you choose to use a person of color in this meme? Why didn't you comment and you didn't post enough about, you know, stop Asian hate or like whatever it is. And it's social media is a fucking game. And we're actually just all we're trying to do, I think, is put good content out into the world, make people laugh, educate people a little bit and just have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and I often have to think about like what prompted me to start my account. And a lot of the reason why was because in 2017, I moved from New Jersey to Texas And in the process of that, I had to terminate with my full practice of clients in New Jersey, which was devastating. Truly, I hope I never have to do something like that again, because it like Mm. shaved years off my life. Oh, God. And a lot of why I created the count was in part so that those clients could have like a touch point, basically. Mm. Like, hey, this is a way for me to still be part of your life without being your therapist. And this was like at the time when I feel like social media was finally starting to be okay and acceptable for therapists to Mm -hmm. use. So it's like, ah, perfect timing. This is great. So, and it has, I think it has been really useful for those clients to have used in that way. And ultimately, you know, it kind of snowballed and became something else. But that was the initial reason was to give my voice to people who didn't have my voice anymore, like during their week and people I really missed and, you know, I wish, wished I could still be working with, but couldn't. Right. I try to remind myself of that sometimes when I get lost in the social media game, that Mm -hmm. so much of why I started this account was really to show up authentically, to Mm -hmm. give my voice to people who needed it. And also to, I guess, provide education in a way that was accessible. And sometimes when I get lost in like the followers and this and that, it's like, I have to like ground myself in that place. It's like, it isn't about the followers. I didn't create the account to have followers. I created the account because I wanted to do something particular, which I do feel like I'm doing. It's just hard sometimes not to get caught in the numbers. It really is. It really is. It's so interesting. And to keep up with social media is insane because like, my account just started getting more traction about two years ago. And it was just about memes at that time. And now we have reels and all this. That's where I need like, I'll do a a real 101 with you at some point. So you can help me figure out how to make videos because I can't I just can't. You know, initially, I was very resistant. I was so resistant because I was like, really? 
I cannot do more. There's literally like no more I can do. Then I decided because I don't know, I just didn't want to have peace in my life to download TikTok. <laughs> I, I truly have not known peace since I have downloaded that app because like the laughing I do because of it. And also it's just like, it's like live memes constantly. Yeah, yeah. And that like live in my head now. So because of that, I was like, well, I could do TikTok like occasionally and just like in silly ways. And I have so much fun with it. I think it is a blast. And when it stops being fun, it's usually when I take a break and don't Mm -hmm. do any TikToks for a while. Like for me, reels are just TikToks that I kind of transfer over. I don't ever make a video in Instagram, which I don't know, maybe I should, but whatever. It's fun. I have fun with it because it's just goofy. And also, I think it's like you become three dimensional to people yeah. mm-hmm. who otherwise just sort of see you as a, an infographic. Right. No, that's a really good point. I just hate seeing myself on video, which is why I created a podcast because I didn't want a video situation happening. <laughs> oh, God. It's a lot to get used to. I am certainly not someone that's done a lot of like in front of the camera work and I think like the pandemic has certainly (laughs) increased, like I'm like hyper aware of my own face on the screen, Mm -hmm, you know, like mm -hmm. that's, which is not something in a therapy room. You're not aware of that. Why would you be aware of that? Right. So it's, but at the same time, I think it's like good exposure on some level where it's like, all right, well, this is the space. Okay. This is what I get. (laughs) I would say the only the only place I kind of run into some challenges with that is historically my Instagram account has been pretty free of my own face and body. And I do I did that with a lot of intention because like I have a lot of body privilege and I did not want to be triggering to other folks or show up in a way that could be harmful to the community that I'm part of. And there's been a lot of negotiating with myself around that because It's like some TikToks and some, you know, some videos, if you're not physically in it, it doesn't really make sense. So I, I, again, I do still try to do it with a lot of intention, but it's hard. I think that's just a hard piece I'm still trying to navigate and figure out, Mm -hmm. which I don't have the answers on it yet, but it's certainly a thought that I have on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, let's kind of tie into that. And I'd love to hear your origin story. Like, how did you become a therapist? Why, like, why? Take us back. Jess was born. And then what happened? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Jess was born. Um, and a little, <laughs> a little anxious bean emerged. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> uh, little Jess was, oh, my gosh, I wish I could go back and give her a hug. She was just mm. such a little nugget. I mean, I was like just a very precocious child and I posted some meme yesterday, actually, which I feel like is like the most quintessential, like young Jess situation. It was like, were you a joy to having class or were you an eldest daughter with an anxiety disorder? And I was like, well, that's rude. <laughs> right? It's so it was so, it's just so real. But yes, I mean, I was like a hardcore student and really just precocious. I loved reading. I loved doing like all adult things. I like did not want to be a kid on any level. I wanted to watch soap operas and read a book. And I was a, a little weirdo. But did you grow up in New Jersey? I grew up in New York. So my family's originally from New York. And very Italian. So definitely have that like very Brooklyn Italian embedded in my DNA. I love that actually. I've come to make a lot of peace with that in a way that I did not have when I was younger. I think it's just 
makes me more fiery and I'm okay with that. So my upbringing was interesting. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of what ultimately led me to being a therapist was having developed my own eating disorder. And that's why I do a lot of the work that I do now is have my own history and recovered. And a lot of the time that I was very active in my eating disorder was as a teen, as like a preteen, as an adolescent. Um, and it really spanned the entirety of my adolescence. So a lot of the people I work with now are people in that age group. And that has been extraordinarily rewarding for me to like sort of speak to that part of myself that was very sick and scared and sad and unwell and trying to figure the fuck out who I was. So it's, I think a lot about like, why did I become a therapist? Initially, I think it was because, oh, well, I have been profoundly helped and I want to give back. Not surprisingly, that didn't exactly carry me. I got to the point of like applying to grad school and I was like, really? Like, am I going to become a therapist because of guilt? Like, because I, <laughs> because I feel like this, you know, this is what I need, I should do. Like, well, I was like, oh shit, have I learned, have I learned nothing in therapy? So I went, you know, went through a tear of thinking I was going to apply to become an FBI agent because I was. Oh, well, that's fun. Yeah. I was watching a lot of criminal minds at the time. Oh, okay. I don't know what wild hair crawled up there, but it was just, I had some thoughts, but then I did a little more like soul searching, like, okay, what would be positive about being a therapist and thinking about my own experiences in therapy and how touched I felt by those experiences and how safe I felt. And I'm like, if I could do that for one person, I feel like the world could be a different or better place. Which, you know, at 22, that was enough. That was enough for me to be like, all right, horses running off to the racetrack. And that did. I think that carried me for a time. And then I think I got to the last year of graduate school and was working with people <laughs> because, you know, in the beginning of graduate school, it's just a lot of coursework. And during that time, I started reading a lot of like fat liberation material. And like, I feel like my whole, my recovery changed. The things mm. I was thinking about changed, things I wanted to do changed. And I realized like, yeah, I want to be a therapist. And I also want to like change the fucking world, which, mm. you know, I feel again, I was 24. I was not that much older. So I was like, all right, yes, want to do therapy. Also want to like embolden people to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Which I, you know, I think that's still very true. You know, I do genuinely believe that the work that we do as therapists creates ripple effects. Absolutely. It changes people's brains. It creates new attachments. Like there's so much research that supports that the therapeutic relationship really is just so em absolutely empowering to people's lives. Obviously, if you have a good therapist, but I don't know, that was a lot of what pushed me was like, I want to be that for other people. Because someone has been that for me and I know that it, mm -hmm. it made something different about my life and it made something different about me because even throughout my career, there have been so many moments of like those repeating negative core beliefs of like, I'm broken, there's something wrong with me, I can't do anything right. And being with a therapist who is sitting with you in that and sees you and isn't judging you, it breaks that a little bit. It's like, well, how could I really be that broken if this person can sit with me and mm -hmm. and love me unconditionally, because really, I do think that as therapists, we do love. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that I wanted to be that for someone else because I knew how transformative it was for me. I love it. Yeah. 
And I, I really relate to that really feeling loved by a therapist. Like just recently, my therapist and I had I like, we're doing some fucking deep trauma work right now. And she looked at me with this like empathy, love, pride, like all of that combined. And I thought to myself, I've seen that look on a handful of therapist faces, my therapist faces and a supervisor that I really loved. And I just thought, man, if my mom could have looked at me that way, how different my life would have been. Yeah. I feel, oh my God, I feel that. And I mean, I've had a lot of great therapists in my time. I've also had a lot of terrible therapists in my time, which again, I think that that really motivated me to become a therapist mm -hmm. because I was like, fuck that. Like, I never want anyone to feel the way that I did, especially like being a young person and having an eating disorder is, I mean, I see this all the time. So many people who end up in my office have been really poorly treated by previous therapists mm. who just don't get it or just aren't, you know, aren't educated, which that's a systemic flaw, but whatever, right. you know, that's a story for a different day. And how different the world would be if yes, like parents could be more empathic to their children when they're struggling, but also like, you know, our field, like if somebody who, even if you don't necessarily get it, could just look at this client in front of them and be like, I see that you're in pain, but I see you. I don't get it, but I see you. And uh, man, I wish there were, I wish there were more of that in our field. I know that it's, there's a lot to work on in our field beyond just that, but it's something I think about a lot as someone who experienced that just really like, you know, someone thinking that they see you and they really don't. And it's all a projection. And that's so dangerous. The power that we have as therapists. And I started this podcast really because I wanted it to be a call to action to therapists to really do your own work. And so us talking about what it's like to do our own work and demystify and deobjectify ourselves, I guess, that, that, you know, we're not these perfect beings, like we're still fucking struggling and all of that shit, right? Yeah, that always is a head scratcher for me when... <laughs> When people think therapists have it all together, which again, I think, you know, with the social media piece, there is like this projection onto us that like, oh, mm -hmm. you, you must know everything about like having it together. That's like, ah, well, I hate to break it to you, but I mean, I started my mm -hmm. career, I was like 25 years old. I didn't know my ass from my elbow. Like to think, <laughs> to think that I would have had it all together would be absolutely absurd. It's not like I'm old now, but, you know, enough time has passed where I'm like, oh, okay, like poor baby therapist Jess was lost mm -hmm. in the woods. And to be fair, it's like I'm still lost in the woods. It's just I'm in a different section of the woods that right. I happen to figure out my way to. And it's a little less chaotic, less bugs, fortunately. But it's just such a bizarre assumption that, you know, if you work with mental health, that you have to have it all together. Obviously, you know, you have to be able to contain your own mental health in order right. to assist people in navigating their own, but no one has perfect mental health. That's a myth. Right. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious your answer to this question. Would you consider yourself a healer? Yes. I was like, wait, is this a trick question? No. Uh, yes, it's a trick. I'm trying to <laughs> trap you right now. <laughs> you know, I, I like the word healer. I think that that is a really beautiful way of conceptualizing the work that we do. 
because even though, you know, healing encompasses so many different things, I do think that therapy is just relationally healing. Right. So yes, that is my answer. I am a healer. I love it. (laughs) And how do you feel about the term wounded healer? I like it. I've seen it thrown around in some not great contexts. I forget. I don't know. I saw someone use it in a negative way within like Hmm. the last year, like weaponizing it in some way. But I think it's a nice way of humanizing us. And that's not to say that every therapist has some deep traumatic history that they're working through or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I have yet to meet a therapist who doesn't come to the work that they do without some history of something that Mm -hmm. made them think about life differently, think about their relationships differently, and want to really show up for other people. Obviously, though, I think there are a lot of us who do show up with like particularly hard histories or just histories that they're still healing from and are doing like sort of parallel process with their clients. To be fair, I think we should all be doing parallel process with our clients Mm -hmm. because we all have shit to heal from by proxy of being human. So it's I mean, I am certainly a wounded healer, but it's I'm sure someone could take that to mean like. I guess if we think about like what wounded means, it's mm-hmm. like, it's almost like maybe the way to think about it is like, I'm a healing healer. Mm. Yeah. Cause I don't know. I feel like wounded means when I think of the word wounded, I think like, oh, like there's a knife in and if mm-hmm. you pull this shit out, it's over. Like bleed out. Right. Versus like, no, like the wounds patched up. It's going to scar over. We're healing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes sometimes it is a gaping wound that is completely yes. bleeding out and I need someone to put a tourniquet on it. <laughs> yes. That you know in the last year I've certainly felt that more yeah. probably than at any other point in my career. It's just like right? I'm bleeding, the client's bleeding, right? It's, this is just a fucking mess. The world is bleeding, there's just blood, somebody called Dexter. <laughs> I don't know. Dexter apparently is not making a comeback. So I'm a little peeved. Wait, what? Yeah, they were like talking for a little bit about about them making a new. I know. I know, but they're not doing it anymore. No. I know. I know. Ruined my life. I'm sorry. I was so excited for the. I was pretty devastated because I was like, they need to fix that last season. A nightmare. You know what the weirdest part of that was? The season before it ended, so I guess it was the sixth season, was actually good with Hannah McKay and whatever. Hannah McKay, god damn it. Well, I'm going to write Michael C. Hall because he and I share a birthday. And so he's definitely going to listen to me. (laughs) I do love that show. Oh my god. Against my better judgment. I love that show. But anyway, we're talking about woundedness, but yes. (laughs) Yes, call Dexter for the blood. We need call to get Dexter. It. It's blood spatter analysis ASAP. Right. Shit. Well, you want to talk about workaholism? Oh, we can. <laughs> oh. oh, that one's painful. Yeah. Well, we've been chatting about it a little bit because you'd posted something and I was like, oh, there's Workaholics Anonymous. And you were like, wait what and dm'd me and so i was i did not know that yeah yes i did some more research into that and i actually have made a lot of progress in my workaholism so i was like okay i'll table this if i really feel like this is ramping up again i will pursue it but Mm -hmm. i appreciate you sharing that with me because it was very validating 
especially like yeah. from a therapist's point of view, it, it's really easy to be a workaholic if you, own, Oh God, especially if you own your own business. But I think like agency work, especially forget yes. it. You could work yourself into an early grave. Yeah. Well, how was it manifesting for you? What was showing up? So, I mean, I would say like when I first started in private practice was fairly early in my career and I worked for a practice that as much as like I know that they cared about me as a person, I think they I was basically a workhorse. So Mm -hmm. I think I saw more people than any other person in the practice. I took on the the hardest cases and I was a kid, you know, I was like Mm. 25 and I was just like (laughs) flying by the seat of my pants and hoping for the best. And that was before I moved to Texas. And when I moved here, I was burnt. Like, and I had a forced break because of the licensing process here being as slow Mm. as it is. And I ended up having like taking probably like four to five months off, which, you know, I had the luxury of, of doing that. I worked a little bit, but I did not work. You know, I maybe was seeing like five to 10 clients a week at that point instead of like 25 to 30 all with eating disorders. Okay, baby Jess, what were you doing? (laughs) I really had to like reevaluate myself at that point. Like, what Mm -hmm. the fuck are you doing? Although, did I learn? No, I did not. Because literally like right when I was able to go back to work, I went off running like uh, like the Tasmanian devil, basically. Mm. And I did really the same thing. Only I was my boss. Which I think, you know, I'm I'm realizing now, not in this moment, but over time I've realized this. It's like I was mimicking what I had as bosses, what I right. knew. I did not right. know there was a different way. So I, you know, went and did really the same thing and, you know, saw X number of people a week and was doing all these other engagements because at the same time, my Instagram was growing mm-hmm. and there was like a demand for podcast episodes and right. presentations and this and that. And I was like, sort of just like watching the insanity happening and being like, mm-hmm. ah, there's going to be a stop point to this. And it's right. not going to be because I am stopping. It is just going to be because the universe strikes me down. Oh, yeah. And sure enough, that happened um, probably around beginning of 2020. Which, you know, good timing where I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I think I had at some point like 28 sessions in a week. And my therapist was like, Jessica, <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know, and really having, I had to do a lot of evaluating. What is this for? Mm-hmm. And what did you come up with? I mean, I think a lot of it is from history of trauma and mm-hmm just that feeling of like never good enough and needing to like overfunction and overperform to meet mm-hmm. some unrealistic expectation and and I don't think anyone was setting that expectation for me but it very much came from like a wounded place mm-hmm. from childhood or an early life and just that feeling of well if I don't do all of these things and check all of these boxes and show up in this way no one's going to think I'm good enough or like no one's going to think I'm successful. Mm-hmm. And I think, of course, is the component of, you know, with clients, there is just this endless like pool through work with clients of right. love and validation and they trust you and their safety. And it's like as much as we do for clients, I feel like they do for us. Hell and, yeah. and I was like, I just want more of it. Like, 
I want all of it as much as humanly possible. And that was, I don't know, that was not a great thing to realize because I was like, wow, like, am I a broken therapist? Like that I'm even admitting this. I can't believe I'm even admitting this out loud right now. You know, it was one of those moments that was like, okay, like this is the reality of the situation. And of course, as a human being, I want love and validation and safety and trust from others, regardless of whether or not I'm a therapist, but I don't have to get it through like working myself to death. I can have relationships with people who don't pay me. That love and safety, et cetera, like doesn't need to be a transaction. Mm. This was like months in therapy. I'm sure my therapist was like, oh, she's here. She's finally. finally it out. But you know what, though? I'm going to validate how difficult it is to see yourself as an objectified person person as a child and I mean when you when you first said like I was a precocious child in my head I was like so how was she objectified right and how was she shown that her worth was based on what she was doing or what she looked like what she was producing grades trophies right whatever and that's it's not easy when you come from what seemingly looks like a good home, which many of us therapists do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to get to this situation, you know, but the trauma is, it's just not as obvious. And so it's harder to figure out what it was. That is an amazing point. Yeah. One, I think even for myself, I was not, I think I was in my 20s by the time I was able to take stock of my history and point to it and say, ah, this is trauma. And it might not necessarily have been trauma for another person, but it really, it doesn't right. need to be so much as it it was for me. It was received right. as a child as trauma. And I will probably have to heal through that for in some form or fashion for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. I absolutely, you know, take that to be an important task for me to continue tackling. And it absolutely impacts my work. And yeah. it was impacting my work in that way that I, and I really, d- I didn't have that conscious process until more recently. And by recently, I mean like within the last three years. Mm-hmm. And then it took me time once I realized it to start like unraveling and actually like make changes. <laughs> yeah. And then the pandemic happened. Yeah. Can I ask how old you are? I'm 31. Okay. I thought you were a babe. Yep. I'm in my 40s. So you're doing great. You're doing a lot better than I was at your age. So A plus. Thank you. Gold star. You're doing great. Yay. Just what I love. I love stickers. I I had a feeling. (laughs) Stickers and charts and oh. Absolutely. Even though it's interesting, I am an extraordinarily disorganized person in a lot of ways. Like I have a friend from grad school who would tease me because when it was time to apply for our license, I like could not find any of my shit. It was like, the <laughs> forget it. It was like, but I knew, I knew it was in a box in my closet. I just had to rifle through the box oh, in my cute. closet. So I have one of those, like, I know where things are, <laughs> but it's chaotic. So even though it's like, yes, I love charts and gold stars. I also live in a little bit of a chaotic bubble sometimes. So that's its own mess. Right, right. Well, I want to go back to something else you said that I think is really important to highlight for folks, you know, just this recognition that you were getting something out of the therapy. And that's part of what drove seeing so many people. I think we should all be honest about what our motivations are going into therapy. And when we don't look at that, I've been training in NARM, the neuroaffective relational Ah, model, and they talk about unmanaged empathy. Ooh, 
Yeah. So it's like, there's another side of the coin, right? Empathy is absolutely necessary in what we do, but it can go too far. Anything can go too far. I like the way that's conceptualized Mm -hmm. in that way, unmanaged empathy, because Mm -hmm. I noticed myself even now having like that shame feeling of, oh God, cut it out, cut it out. Like, Mm. don't put it on the podcast. But at Mm. the same time, I think it's the reality. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that my reality is so unique. No, which is why it's important to say it out loud. Right. And and so many, so many people come to this work and do this work to heal parts of themselves. I know that that's true. You know, that's that's like the the trope, right? It's like, Uh It's like, oh, like, you know, people with their own shit become therapists. That said, it's like people with their own shit become therapists and people who don't manage that shit become harmful therapists. Exactly. And that, I mean, I think that's like a really important caveat. It's like, Mm -hmm. if you're not doing some sort of work around and anything that's going on for you, and and admittedly, I didn't know that that really was happening for me until I got to a point where I was like, this is not working. I literally can't do this anymore. It took me time. So I don't know, you know, throughout my career, I have no doubt that I've caused harm because I think if you're a therapist at some point or another, you are going to cause harm. Yeah. You're going to miss at some point. Right. All I can do now is make repairs and do differently and do better and hope that, you know, if I did cause harm, that it circles back around and I'm able to repair it in whatever way that I can. And continue learning, right? Like, if yes. I feel like if we're making a commitment to our internal work and our education, that's literally the best that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so much, honestly, what I love about being a therapist is mm-hmm. there is never, like, there will never be a lack of learning available. Right. Well, And we have to, that's the whole point. Like, we have mm-hmm. to keep learning literally until we stop being a therapist, until right. we retire. And even then, I'm sure we'll continue learning. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. If I, if someone asked me like, what would you do if you didn't have to work? I'm like trainings. I would go to trainings every fucking day. That's all yes. I want to do. All I want to do really is learn. That's why I'm here. <laughs> hmm. So maybe you were a precocious kid too. Oh, yes. Takes <laughs> one to know one. Yeah. Well, we're coming close to the end of the hour. So oh. I want to give you an, I know, right? Well, let's just be best friends and we can Marco Polo all the time. It'll yes. be great. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you? Yes. So like we've been talking about earlier, I am at The Cranky Therapist, spelled in all the usual ways on Instagram. And I am also at the same username on TikTok. And the only outlier is my Twitter because The Cranky Therapist didn't fit. So it's rude. I know. So it's just Jess Sprengel, which is my last name, LPC. But honestly, if you like go into Twitter and just search the cranky therapist my name will probably come up because that's mm-hmm. my name on there it's just not mm-hmm. my username can't always have straight across the board branding i know it's a bitch it is <laughs> that was it made me very unhappy but that's okay yeah what are you looking forward to that is a great question i am super looking forward being able to travel again mm. and visit with my family and friends all of most of whom at this point do still live on the East Coast. And I have three siblings, all younger, of course. I am the eldest daughter. Mm -hmm. And I have not seen any of them in over a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and 
you know, and they're God, they're like my babies. I just love them so Mm. much. So I am looking forward most to squeezing the shit out of all of them Mm. and just being able to see people I love and giving Mm. them hugs because I'm a big hugger. Yeah, I really missed hugs. Yeah. So I I know that's, I mean, there's so many things I'm looking forward to in the coming future, but I think that in particular, it's like, ah, especially it's like the end of the tunnel. I can see it. Mm -hmm. It's like, there is a light. It's not a train. It's just just light. (laughs) I don't know why I found that so funny. Like, oh God, it's a train. I'm dead. Oh man. Well, you are not cranky at all. So I'm, I want my money back. I know so many, so many people say that to me. It's hilarious. I think people really expect me to be an asshole, (laughs) but the way that I try to couch it is, okay, no, I'm not an asshole, but I am certainly no nonsense. So that's, Mm -hmm. that I think really is the cranky part. It's just, I'm not going to put up with bullshit, but no, I'm going to be kind because kindness is, I don't know. To me, it's, it shouldn't be a commodity. I feel like we should all be kind. Agreed. Well, on that note, it has just been lovely to get to know you and spend time with you. And I I look forward to a blossoming friendship. Yes, I do too. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Jess, the Cranky Therapist, for being our guest today. If you'd like to learn more about Jess and her practice, you can visit us at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And as always, thanks to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.